Helen Dalthwaite Teasdale and welcome to Brass Evolution, a show where we explore the rich culture and history of the brass banding world. This episode, I'm chatting to Simone Rebello about the history of percussion in brass bands. We talk about the journey from solitary timekeeper to incredible virtuoso soloists and vast sections performing on a wonderful variety of instruments and the compositions that propelled percussion forward. This includes a change to our usual podcast opening music, the iconic opening to Gilbert Finter's Salute to Youth, performed by the CWS Manchester Band. So welcome to the podcast, Simone. There's not many people in the brass band world who don't know who you are, but for those who don't, could you give us a little introduction to yourself? Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, my name's Simone Ribello. I am a percussionist and... Um, I'm from Thornton Heath uh, originally in South London. I came up to Manchester in the late 80s to become a student at the Royal Northern College of Music. And while I was at the RNCM, I joined Foden's Brass Band. And that's where my um, connection, if you like, with brass bands comes from. So was that your first band, Foden's Brass Band? Pretty, pretty much, yeah, pretty wow. much. Uh, so I did, I did a couple of... I think I did one contest with a, a local band. I think it was the Trafford Band, if I remember rightly. Um, but because Howard Sell was the director of brass at the RNCM at the time, I came into contact with him quite early on, and he invited me to join to join the band. So that was that was really the first band that I joined. Joined, if you like. Well, I've got to say, Baptism of Fire, one of the best bands in the UK and all the world. So. There you go. Fantastic start. So obviously today we're talking about the history of brass band percussion. When we think of brass bands, I, I don't want to say, but sometimes we neglect the percussion section and they are so intertwined, so connected. So how did you get into sort of researching and learning about the history of brass band percussion section? Well, I was asked to write articles for the Brass Herald magazine by Philip Biggs and um, I think I wrote and I think I wrote an article for every edition uh, of the wow. Brass Herald so when I, and Philip was was very kind he, he said to me look just write whatever you want so I started I would write one for one article I would write something about um, some practical tips of playing the marimba or whatever it was and then I one day I sort of thought you know what I, I don't know anything about percussion in brass bands despite the fact that I've you know played played in Foden's for nearly 10 years I don't really know anything about the background or the history and I thought it might make a good article so I started researching it and it turned into about three or four articles actually they just kind of went one after the other and I was very interested in it because I'm a I'm a little bit of a history buff anyway so and and actually from a from a musical point of view, I've, I work at the Royal Northern College of Music now myself. I'm, I'm the director of percussion. And with the students, I like them to know about the history of what they're doing, because I think it really informs what you do now, if you see what I mean. So we play a lot of music now, for example, in the percussion repertoire, solo repertoire that's very, very modern, you know, written in the last 10, 20 years. But I think it's important for the students to know, for example, where our repertoire started as solo percussionists, solo marimba players. So I, I kind of kicked myself a little bit for not doing it earlier to find out uh, about the history of percussion and brass bands. And then actually during the 
lockdown, I was asked by Brass Bands England to do a little a presentation, one of their Zoom presentation things, again, on a topic of my choice. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I'd, I'd really like to explore this even further. So I enjoyed really digging around and fa- finding out more about it. But I'm really glad I did. It puts a lot of things into perspective, actually. And it also made me realise that you know, at, at the time when I came into brass bands, it was in the sort of the late the late 80s or so, that percussion in brass bands, although it had existed for a long time, it, it really exploded at that kind of time. And I didn't know that at the time, because obviously, how would I? Um, it was only after I'd left phones and then actually quite a few years later. And I look back over that period of time and thought, gosh, I was I was so lucky. I mean, I was kind of in the right place at the right time, basically. But um, I, I never realised. I never realised what what was happening at the time. But looking into the history of the whole area um, has made me really realise where where I was at, at that time in in terms of a very important time in the brass band movement for percussion. So I started playing in bands sort of middle of the 90s, beginning of the noughties. And at that point, the brass band percussion section had already, we were flourishing, like soloists like yourself. We had four or five percussionists playing every instrument under the sun. So thinking about a time before that is quite difficult for me. And and some of the pieces, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but some of the pieces involving, you know, one percussionist on one instrument, it just it just blows my mind. From your research, Simone, where did it all begin for percussionists in brass band? Do we have an origin story here? <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, brass bands, by and large, uh, came out of church bands, if you like, so which was a collection of brass and wind, and then eventually just became brass. So used in a church situation. So obviously percussion really not in that, but fairly early on, bands were doing marching. So, of course, that would bring uh, a, a bass drum and a snare drum at least in into play so that's where the story starts really for percussion then when you start looking into bands then beginning to be used more for entertainment if you like so playing on bandstands playing promenade concerts playing at the end of the pier those kind of outdoor events then the percussion would have obviously a little more to do um so that usually a single percussionist would then be playing a mixture of bass drum snare drum maybe some cymbals maybe some temple blocks or some wood blocks or something to add a little bit of color and because the repertoire that the bands were playing was more arrangements so arrangements of um, orchestral music arrangements of opera excerpts if you like and also playing music of of the day you know music of the time so if you're in the 1870s 1880s 1890s those kind of um, popular songs if you like that would be transcribed or arranged for the band so the percussion would be sort of adding color and actually early on it was often because you, you when you look at those very early sets of parts for bands the, often the percussion part would just say ad lib. So if you were playing a, a Mozart overture, um, let's say the magic flute, the percussionist would just kind of add things in as they felt uh, appropriate. The first time, well, one of the earliest, uh, might not be the very first one, but one of the earliest parts was written by Alexander Owen, who was at Bessie's in the Barn, actually, did a lot of arranging 
for the band and he wrote a timpani part I think it's still in their library uh, it's 1884 it was the piece called Heroic which was based on a, a set of themes by Weber um, and that's kind of generally believed to be if not the first one of the first it's an actual timpani part for the player to play whereas up to up to that point it had been a little bit more kind of oh just just add some kind of cymbal crashes and things in uh, where, where you feel it's it's appropriate so that's how it kind of started and then kind of grew from there because as the the band concerts got more involved then um well the percussionist went when you're outside the percussionist was a little restricted because if you're in a bandstand if you put if you put a, a brass band into a bandstand there's not an awful lot of space left for the percussionist so they certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be trundling around with timps and xylophones and all the rest of it but obviously then as, as bands became more popular if you like and, and people were, were coming to to see bands to give concerts then actually you could um, you could go do an inside concert um, and there's quite a lot more space if you're now in a concert hall uh, for the percussionist to bring more instruments along with them and become more involved with the music and with the arrangements and the parts as it was as it was going along. We've kind of moved from like a level of interpretation, stylistic interpretation and musical interpretation from the percussionist to sort of more formalised parts and then the pure logistics of getting onto a bandstand and moving into a concert hall where people are, you know, paying for tickets instead of, you know, just walking past on the pier or going to a bandstand. There's a level of sort of professionalism and also you've got the space now to expand all these sort of things, which is fascinating. And and also then that would allow for another player to come in too. So it could be then you had a kit player and a, tim- and a timpani player, for example. It became more of a more of a thing, more of a more of a feature for the for the percussionists. So on the flip side of the sort of entertainment concerts and outdoor events, contesting is another layer of the brass band movement and world. Where does percussion feature at this sort of stage in terms of contesting? Well this was when I was doing my research, this was the the biggest surprise. Although I have to say when I when I joined Foden's, that was in 8088 and some of the older members of the band were telling me when we were trundling around one day going to a contest and I wasn't really sort of thinking that this this was anything different than what had happened for the last 100 years, that percussion had only been allowed to be in contests for, at that point, less than just under 20 years. So this led me into another uh, area of research as to, right, okay, why? What's going on? So I was kind of digging around and and saw that up to 1873, 19 players in the band. After 1873, 24 players in the band, but no percussion allowed to be in the contest. And bearing in mind that, I mean, the um, Bellevue started in 1853. So, you know, it had been going for a, a very, very long time. And okay, maybe at the very start, the pieces that were being written may not have included percussion in them because obviously what was being adjudicated if you like was was the brass band but by the time you get into the 1910s 1920s the test pieces that were chosen they did have percussion parts in them they just weren't allowed to be played in the in the contest and I I, I sort of I was thinking to myself okay well why is this and I had it in my head at the time that it was a logistical thing 
that it was to do with the instruments, it was to do with getting on and off the stage, it was to do with the players, it was it was that kind of element of it. And and I I kind of sort of thought, well, that that must be it. It just must have been too complicated to be trundling things around for whatever reason. And then I dug around a bit more and I discovered that the reason was that percussion wasn't allowed to play with with the bands in, in the contest was that it was felt that it was too much of a almost like a decoy that it would cover up what the band were doing. So if the band, for example, were, uh, you know, playing something with the, the low brass were playing and, um, you know, that would be a moment where the adjudicator was really listening for the tuning. If there was a big timpani roll or a bass drum roll at the same time, that would kind of make it more difficult, perhaps, for the adjudicator to be able to hear what was going on. If there was a big passage and it ended in a big flourish and the corners, but with a, a loud note at the end of it, there's a cymbal clash at the same time. You know, would the adjudicator be able to hear if the cornets had hit it clean, um, if there was another sound going on at the same time? And, you know, you can you can kind of see where 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 they're coming from. You know, I mean, at, at first I was like, what is this? You know, and I was sort of outraged. And then I was sort of, you know, reading up a little bit more about it. And I have to say at this point that when I was looking into all this research, there was there's some fantastic material written by uh, Jeffrey Brand, written by Elga Howarth, and written by one of my very early mentors in the in my time in brass bands, which is Dr. Roy Newsom, um, who were all three were also very interested in the development and how percussion um, has become developed within the bands, and um, and I, I read various little bits and pieces that that Dr. Roy had um, had written, for example, about that and. And the, the whole area of it being seen to have been a distraction. It was just too much of a distraction um, for what had been up for 100 years, a, a pure brass event. Um, and I, I, can, I can kind of understand that. But uh, the only exception, it is worth saying, is there's a, a competition in Edinburgh, Edinburgh International Competition, I think it was called. Um, it ran from the 50s, 1950s. And that did allow percussion to be in it. But the, the main contest, if you like, so the Bellevue, which became the Open, and then the, the national championships um, didn't have percussion in them. I feel that sort of the aiming towards it area, I mean, obviously, as I said, there were percussion parts written for a lot of these contest pieces that that were being used. And I think a very important person in, in, in all of this was Gilbert Vinter, who wrote lots of material, as, as we all know, but, you know, everything he wrote had percussion in it and really good parts as well, kind of unusual instrumentation, salute to youth, vari variations on the ninth. His last piece, James Cook, uh, circumnavigator had a, has got a vibraphone part in it so kind of very unusual and for me it, it kind of then fitted into the the timeline if you like that it 1969 was the first time that percussion was used in a contest it was at the what was Bellevue um I can't remember if it was still called Bellevue at that point uh, or whether it, whether it was the open at that point but it was that contest and it was one of his pieces that was chosen which kind of is quite, it's very, it's very a, a neat way of, uh, if you like, of doing it because the writing that he'd done up to that point for percussion, it's beautiful. It's fantastic writing for percussion. Every piece has got some really skillfully, beautifully written parts. And Spectrum, even, you know, 
bearing in mind this is 1969 and the first time that percussion is being allowed in a brass band kind of situation, that, that percussion part, again, it's it's a fantastic part. It's got some unusual instruments in it. It's not just bass drum, snare drum cymbals. So for the, fir the first time, and, and timpani, the first time that percussion is going in, it's it's not just um, kind of brooch at the end of a, a you know at the end of a a, a phrase or a, um, a big moment. We've got bongos, we've got claves, we've got all sorts of kind of intricate little parts going in. So it's not just a add on. It is very much part of the piece and very much part of the blend and very much part of the overall performance, if you like, from from the band. So that was a big surprise to me to find that out and then as I said for me joining phones in 88 uh, my first contest I think was 88 you know it's that journey was less than 20 years so I, I found that very interesting of course it's sort of you know it took a while to to you know get going as all these new things bearing in mind as we said this contest has been going for 100 years at this point um, so the nationals um, had percussion at first in 1973 um, I think that was Freedom by um, Hubert Bath and then it kind of got phased in with the Nationals so the youth bands then from 74 and then all sections from 75 so it was being kind of phased in and it wasn't um, from from what I've uh, seen in various publications and again from from the from the research done by uh, by Dr Roy particularly it, it wasn't a terribly popular thing uh, to start off with um, and again I can understand that you know we've got a tradition that's that has gone back a long long way we've also got some practicalities here as well percussion instruments are not cheap they were they've never been cheap they've always been quite you know pricey and at that point as well sort of 60s 70s not readily available there was only a few manufacturers um uh, particularly in the UK, just a few manufacturers. So geographically, you know, they were in a, a certain place. So, you know, if you wanted to uh, buy some timpani and you were in Cornwall, for example, uh, you know, you're talking a big job here to buy the instruments. Then obviously you're going to have to house all these instruments. Um, you need the players to play all of these instruments. Um, and even something as simple as going to the contest what might have been a fairly straightforward affair to all get on a bus and off you go, um, now has turned into a rather more complicated affair with um, having to move your timpani around with you and, and all the instruments. So there was a cost and uh, player implication, um, particularly as a lot of these parts had, a lot of these um, pieces had parts for two players. And then obviously that grew and grew and grew over the years. But even even having two players, if you're a band that's only ever had one player, suddenly you're having to find another player. So it sort of it got traction and it and it moved, you know, and it and it, it kept moving as we know. But I can definitely understand how difficult that could have been at the start for a whole host of reasons, not not least, as I said, the, the financial implication of buying and sourcing all of those instruments, which which really wasn't that easy at, at that time. I think another key uh, piece of music in the sequence, if you like, was Elgar Howarth's piece, Fireworks, written in 1975, if I remember rightly. And that piece is very much like a, um, it's kind of like the young, young person's guide to the orchestra, but young person's guide, or person's guide to the um, brass band. Every section is featured and the percussion section part of it that's featured, again, is 
It's fantastic writing. It's beautiful. It's really intricately written. It's got great um, direction in terms of, Elgar's quite specific about um, sticks to use, the sounds that you need to make, dampening instruments, all this kind of stuff. So you've got to be able to play your part very well. You've got to be able to blend with the rest of the section very well. You've got to be able to do some very quick changes, which is something as a brass band percussionist, that's the absolute key. Um, but it, it's it's a real test. It's not just, oh, you know, a couple of little notes here and there and then let's go on to the euphoniums. You know, it's it's a real test for the band and actually the, the rest of the writing, if you like, for the rest of the piece where it supports the other instruments when they're being featured. Again, it's it's fantastic writing, really beautifully crafted and integral to what the bands are doing. It, it becomes not just an add-on, it really is sort of absolutely part of it and part of the sound of the band and part of the blend of the band. So as I said, it, it sort of gets traction, it moves forward. By 1984, for example, Dancers and Arias, Edward Gregson um, for the Nationals, I believe, and that's three parts and that's three big parts. That's a big tint part um, and two big big percussion parts that, you know, lots of quick changes, multiple instruments. So there's a lot going on. And that's around the time then I, I this is when I sort of um, came onto the area of, of brass bands, if you like. And as I said, just the, the parts that were coming in, the contests that, that were coming in, the contest music rather, that was coming in, Philip Spark, Philip Wilby, uh, Martin Ellaby, Edward Gregson, um, all of this beautiful writing that was coming in. And I was we would just, oh yeah, right, here's another amazing timpani part, here's another uh, Derek Bourgeois, you know, another amazing percussion part, and like I said, I just, I kind of didn't think, I sort of didn't realise um, how, what the background was, and, and where we'd got to by that point, so that's, that is a kind of an interesting area for me, um, and, and the time that I came in, if you like, as well. It's almost unfathomable to think that we had contests without percussion, and we had you know, you were at the sort of the right place at the right time, like you said. Like we had very pioneering composers in the brass band medium who were skilled percussionist writers, and that probably just surged everything forward in terms of instruments, numbers of players, the demands of the part. And I think these compositions can be very persuasive for those who think, oh well, we don't need percussion at the contest. You know, these parts are integral to the landscape of the piece you know, the overall effects that are being created. So bonkers and bizarre to think of a, of, of a contest without percussion. I just don't, I just, it, it, it's, it's really crazy to me, but um, so glad that we had so many fantastic composers and advocates for percussion yeah, in the brass band scene at that time. Absolutely. And of course, the other area of contesting is, is the entertainment contest. And percussion obviously was always featured um, there. The two big entertainment contests, if you like, in the 70s, the Granada Band of the Year and, and uh, what I always call Spennymore, but uh, which is now, um, well, was... Me too! Well, it was Rothmans, wasn't it? And Spennymore it and was, yeah. Brass in Concert, that contest. Um, you know, obviously that always um, featured percussion. And again, we're into this area of some, of some fantastic composers and arrangers and for me particularly who who I know you know was was my conductor at phones at the time which was Howard Snell who just 
made the most fantastic arrangements for percussion, um, percussion features rather. I mean, percussion writing in the, for the bands was great, was fantastic, but the features were really, really good. Um, solo features, um, he often wrote um, features for the section as well. So his clock with the Dresden figures, it's a lovely, lovely piece, black and white rag that he wrote for myself and Mark Oldham, who was my colleague at, at Foden's. And then sort of reworkings of very music hall type xylophone solos. There was one called Xylophonia um, and he did an arrangement for me of that, but the, the band parts are beautiful. It's just a, it's a very fresh kind of arrangement. And it brings a lot of humour and, and character to it. So I think that's another area. And now, obviously, when we see the, the bands, there's often a, a percussion soloist. Um, you know, Gough Richards wrote some lovely solos for percussion features. So one called Rusky Pekuski, uh, which is all instruments. And then his uh, Zimba Zamba that he wrote for Evelyn Glennie with the National Youth, which became really very popular. Actually, it's a piece that I've played a lot as well. And composers now as well, obviously, who write so beautifully for, for percussion um, and arrange for percussion. So Sandy Smith and uh, Paul Lovett, Lovett Cooper, who, of course, is a percussionist, and Philip Harper and hundreds of other people, you know, who write so so beautifully for percussion and feature percussion as well so it, it really does bring it right to the right to the forefront if you like it's just so fascinating that we've gone from so maybe that one singular player on one singular instrument all the way through to percussion features percussion soloists a massive variety of instruments and skills on show everyone please don't neglect your percussion section <laughs> incredible incredible parts and incredible players and that's it, it just brings i think for me the percussion and brass are such a good... Uh, it's a marriage made in heaven. And wow. when you hear some of these incredible arrangements and test pieces, I couldn't think of a time when percussion wouldn't be an integral part of that, yeah. of, a, of a musical landscape like that. So thank you so much, Simone, for shedding light on the... When I was researching this, I, I, there was a serious lack of research in this area, <laughs> I've got to say. So thank you so much for putting this together and taking us on a little journey here. Simone, where can people find out about you and, and the work that you do? So I am, I'm not playing quite as much as I uh, was uh, 20, 30 years ago, um, because I'm, I have my job now at the Royal Northern where I'm working with uh, the percussion section, but I'm also um, working with wind and brass players at the college. And my involvement a lot with bands now tends to be as um, either guest soloist or a presenter or adjudicator actually um so my web my website is really where uh, it all happens i'm a little bit old school um i <laughs> everyone's always telling me off and not having a facebook no, the original invest <laughs> i'm very old school um so i guess my website is the is the is the place to to see where 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 things are happening and I very much hope to continue um, writing articles for um, various magazines and, and, and journals. I'm very fortunate that I have um, worked alongside so many people that have helped me in my career. Um, I've mentioned Howard Snell there, Rodney Newton is another one who's written a lot of music for percussion and arranged music for percussion as well and I'm very, I'm very grateful um, to everyone who's who's helped me on the way particularly of course in Foden's because Foden's gave me so many opportunities um, as both a player in the section but also a, a soloist as well and it and it really did set me up on my way so I'm very much 
enjoy working with um, younger players at the moment, obviously at the Royal Northern, but also with the National Youth Brass Band, with the National Youth Children's Band, who I was um, thrilled to work with over the summer. Um, and it's very interesting for me to see those young percussion players coming through, you know, and really embracing the whole range of percussion instruments and and all of this music that we are required to play and, and the the skills and techniques that, that are involved and how how enthusiastic they are for that, I, I think is is fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. Hopefully we'll see you in some sort of sphere and hopefully in the brass band and sphere very soon. But thank you so much again, Simone. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Helen. If you like the podcast, please help to grow by liking, sharing, rating and reviewing. You can also support the podcast by leaving a tip or buying a perk, including asking my next guest a question or getting a shout out via pod inbox, link in the show notes. I'm happy to share that the podcast now has a Facebook page as well as Instagram, so please head on over and give it a like or review. Podcast music is Mephistopheles performed by the Illinois Brass Band.